Hello, friends. Uh, last week's message was from Texarkana, Texas. This week's message comes to you from Branson, Missouri. And I have a feeling that next week's message is going to come from Hot Springs, Arkansas. So, yes, <clears throat> I do get around. Today, my message is uh, called Discovering Joy, based on Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Uh, we're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to remind you that I have challenged us all to begin each day with a prayer similar to the one that John Stott prayed each day. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we pray that because <clears throat> that's our goal for this series, that we'll begin to see the Holy Spirit do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is to fill us with the fruit of his presence. Now, last week when we talked about love, I mentioned that it's a topic you'll find discussed at length throughout Scripture. Today's topic is uh, much the same, joy. Depending upon your translation, it appears more than 200 times in the Old Testament and New Testament. In his letters, Paul uses it 21 times. In the book of Philippians, uh, today's text is often referred to <clears throat> as the epistle of joy. You'll find the promise and the real-life experience of joy scattered all throughout the Scriptures. God wants his people to live joy-filled lives, and they do when they walk in his ways. Now, joy is a promise we can all claim and an expectation we can all have. Our lives can and should be defined by joy if we're willing to do what joy requires. But before we can experience joy, we must be able to define it. So what is joy? Well, it's a sin is it a synonym for happiness or is it a synonym for giddiness or is it a synonym for feeling bubbly all around the clock? Well, not exactly. I will confess to having used the words joy and happiness interchangeably at various times, but they're not really one and the same. Now, today I'd like to say that the joy that is promised to each believer uh, goes a little deeper than mere happiness. Now, how do we define joy? Well, here's how Webster defines it. Quote, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. End of quote. Now, with all due respect to Mr. Webster, I would say uh, close, but not quite. Christian joy could be defined differently. And I guess I would define it this way. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. See, when we're walking in step with the Spirit, we can expect to experience the emotion of joy on a consistent basis. Joy is a good feeling in the soul that is not at all dependent on our circumstances, but is dependent upon the Spirit's work in our lives. You can't manufacture joy on your own. It's a gift from God. But as we saw in week one of this series, we must <clears throat> do our work in cultivating the Spirit's fruit. Now, every message in this series is really about the cultivation process, the steps we need to take to experience every aspect of the Holy Spirit-filled life. Now, today we're going to look at three ways you can cultivate the quality of Holy Spirit-inspired joy in your daily walk. Now, in week one, I talked about the importance of pruning. That's the first step to experiencing joy. You need to eliminate the joy suckers 
well, or you want to call them joy breakers or joy killers or joy saboteurs. There are many of them out there, and I'm going to just point out a few of them. And I'm going to call them joy suckers because they're just some things and some people that just have a, a way of sucking the joy right out of you. And you can do it to yourself as well. And that's why the first joy sucker or joy breaker to watch out for is the habit of complaining. A close companion to complaining is criticism. It's kind of hard to engage one without the other, and they both tend to be equally counterproductive. That's why Paul said, do everything without complaining or arguing. Anytime you begin to complain or bicker, grumble, gripe, criticize or demean others, you relinquish your joy. You're saying, in effect, joy, I don't need you right now. I'd rather harp on this other thing for a while. And to be clear, I'm not talking about resolving conflict in a spiritually mature, respectful manner. I'm talking about choosing to be disgruntled for the sake of being disgruntled. It serves no purpose but to rob you of your joy. A second joy breaker is to watch out for is bitterness. Or you could call it resentment or even anger, and it's usually over something long since past. When you allow some offense from the past or some conflict from the past to dominate your thoughts and take control of your emotions, you surrender your joy. See, if there is something from the past that needs to be resolved and can be resolved, hey, guess what? Resolve it. If forgiveness needs to be extended, extend forgiveness, let go, move on. Bitterness is never worth the price you pay to indulge it. Don't let the past live in your head rent-free. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, a third joy breaker to watch out for is the current situation, whatever it may be. If we're not careful, we can slip into the habit of allowing every less than pleasant event to take away our joy. Sometimes it's unexpected complications, sometimes a momentary inconvenience, sometimes it's even a serious problem. But if all you're looking at is this present moment, your joy will come and go. Now, I've been working on this message for a while, and I knew that I would be preaching this some point, so I began making a list of the everyday situations that come along and to try to rob me of my joy. And I have to tell you, for the most part, it's a, it's a pretty weak list. I mean, things like traffic or interruptions or those robocalls or someone complaining or the Internet not working as well as I'd like or my favorite coffee shop closed. <laughs> and isn't it sad that a closed coffee shop can rob a person of their joy? Now, since I was working on this message, thinking about joy and intentionally working on this list, these things did not get the best of me like in the past. I was better prepared to deflect them. And, of course, there are also items on the list much more serious than these, but none of them, when I give them careful consideration, were worth sacrificing the good feeling that comes with knowing that God is in control of this situation, just as he is in control of every situation. If you let them, the daily stresses of life will rob you of your joy, but it's just not worth it. Now, I could spend all day listing the many joy breakers we encounter, but I think you understand the idea. You need to be on the lookout always for anything that threatens to get between you and your ability to enjoy the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. This is why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And it's why he says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. 
Now, in addition to eliminating the joy breakers, focus on the joy builders. You see, there are things you can do each day to build on or to maximize, you might say, the joy that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into your life. Now, in the definition of joy I shared earlier, I said that the Holy Spirit causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Now, there are beautiful things in this life that if we will give them proper attention, they'll increase our joy. Now, what kind of things am I talking about? Well, the list can be as long as you want it to be. It could include, for example, spending time with the people you love most. I'm not talking about just spending time passively. I'm talking about spending time intentionally, focused on what this person means to you or what this relationship means to you, and taking the time during your time together to thank God for the beauty of this relationship. The list could also include listening to uplifting music. I'm not talking about merely hearing music in the background of whatever else you're doing, but listening with the intention of hearing the beauty of the words and the beauty of the melody. There's a story in the Old Testament, you can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 16, about King Saul, who had more than his share of problems as a king and was sometimes troubled by an evil spirit. When this happened, he would call for a teenage musician named David, who later became King David, to come and play his harp. And the Bible said that David's music would make Saul feel better. That's the power of music. When you take time to appreciate his music, God can use it to bring joy into your life. Another item on the joy building list, obviously a top priority, is spending time in fellowship with God in the word and in prayer. It's like being in the presence of a friend. Being in the presence of God is a joy building moment. Now, these are just three joy-building examples. If if we were to give it some thought together and let everyone share their own ideas, the list would expand, extend, I'm sure, into the hundreds. Each one of us needs to learn to recognize the joy-builders that God has placed in our lives and give them our time and attention. Paul says in verse 8 of our text, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, friends, the more we learn to acknowledge and appreciate the beauty of Jesus in the word and in the world, the more we experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one more aspect of joy that I want to mention briefly. While we eliminate the joy breakers and focus on the joy builders, we must also strive to be a joy bringer. Now, a few minutes ago when I was talking about the things that break our joy, the situations and circumstances, probably everyone else will thought of a person. We've all known someone who has the capacity to suck the joy out of any room they enter. Well, let's first of all agree not to be that person. Let's do our best instead to bring joy wherever we go. In today's text, Paul must ask a couple of church members to settle their differences and find a way to agree with one another. Earlier in Philippians 2, he said, make my joy complete by being like-minded. It's like he's saying to the people of the Philippian church, Be aware of how your attitudes and actions affect each other, even on an emotional level. It kind of reminds me of a friend who once told me, I need to go visit my parents, but I just don't have the energy to listen to them pick and bicker at each other for the entire evening. But see, friends, one of the ways you can be a joy bringer is to make it a habit to leave the griping and complaining and bickering with others behind. One piece of advice I read this week said that we should each strive to be a day maker. In other words, try to make at least one person's day every day. For example, maybe you can give a tip that is above and beyond what is expected or compliment 
someone who doesn't often hear compliments or maybe just a small gift to show your appreciation. There's a way to make someone's day every day, and it's much easier than you think. Often just a a word or two, a simple gesture here or there will do it. I'll also point out that when you bring joy into the lives of others, it inevitably comes back your way. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The bottom line here is that it feels good to help others feel good. It feels good to spread some joy around. So somewhere along the line, maybe you've learned that little acrostic, Jesus, others, you. And guess what? It works. That's the pattern for joy. We all know that the earth revolves around the sun. No one will dispute that. What gets people in trouble is when they begin to believe that, yes, the earth revolves around the sun, but the rest of the universe revolves around me. And maybe you know people who give you that impression. To experience the fullness of God's joy, we must be willing to take our eyes off of ourselves and all of our problems and turn our eyes upon Jesus so that the Holy Spirit can enable us to recognize the beauty of Jesus in the word and world and we can share God's goodness with others. Yes, friends, joy is a feeling and feelings often come and go. But this one feeling, a soul-deep feeling, you can count on to be consistent in your life when you spell it right. Loving Jesus comes first. Serving others comes second. And you are third. This is how God is able to produce in you the joyful fruit of the Holy Spirit. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.